0: One of my favorite quotes is by a lady named Sheila Murray Bethel. She wrote a book called New Breed of a Leader. And in this book, she says, leadership is not something you learn once and for all. It is an ever-evolving pattern of skills, talents, and ideas that grow and change as you do. And I love that quote because it keeps it keeps us reminded... That you don't learn leadership, and then that's it. There is no destination to leadership. And I think sometimes we, at a very unconscious level, maybe look at leadership as a destination. The, the, the fear in that for me is that if we're looking at leadership, even in an unknowing level, as a destination, then we probably are looking at leadership as a position and a position only but it's not. And uh, I just got out of a session today, in which a few times during the session, it was only two and a half hour session, a few times during the session, this came up. Is leadership just simply an added benefit? Is it just simply uh, another position in the many positions that I'll have through my career? Or is leadership something That is much, much deeper and much, much more than just that. And we all have a tendency to see leadership in a certain way based on our context. You see leadership based on the context of the way you were led. You see leadership based on the context of the experiences that you've had with past leaders, with past bosses, with past managers, whatever you want to call them, and everybody Everybody listen to this. You have your own context of leadership. And there's nothing wrong with your context until that literally is all you ever see. And you never shift it or you never change it or you never expand it. And so this is what led me to this episode because I've, I've, I've been watching, I've been paying attention. I would say even in the last year, of uh, different places that I've been, different conversations that I've had. And my question for a long time to leaders has been this. How are you a better leader now than you were one year ago? And sometimes that's very, very hard to identify. How are you better now than you were one year ago? Uh, Men, I would ask you this. How are you a better dad now than you were one year ago? How are you a better husband than you were one year ago? Ladies, same thing. How are you a better wife? How are you a better mom than you were one year ago? So regardless of the role you play, how are you better now than you were one year ago? And we all have this tendency to kind of get into this groove and we just kind of stay there. You see it? So I've noticed this uh, for a long time. I think in the last, like I said, maybe a year or so, it's really become um, become more prevalent to me. And that's what caused me to start thinking about this episode called The Leadership Shift. I wrote these notes uh, last summer and didn't know if it was ever going to be an episode or not. And this is what's burning with me right now, is how are we shifting our leadership? And I want to use the word shift because sometimes it's not just these big, big things that we do. It's not the, it's not the, the big changes that we make. And this is the whole premise of Budge in the first place, is that it's not the big, big things. It's the small incremental growth steps that we, that we take. Um, some of you listen to this. I've been with you in person, and we've been at coffee shops. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I can make my iced latte last about three or four hours. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I don't care if we're sitting and having a conversation, or if we are, uh, if I'm in a session, it doesn't matter. I can make my latte la- and that's not a big one. I mean, it's you know a 20 ounce or whatever. I can make it last three or four hours. Why does that happen? It happens because I don't guzzle it. It happens because I sip it. And I enjoy it. You see? (laughs) And and I made this up. This is going to sound so cheesy. But I I thought about this. This was several years ago. I sip. S-I-P, sip. Here's what sip is. Slow, incremental progress. Sip, don't guzzle. And that's what we got to do in our leadership is we have to take it in small increments, man. You, you cannot just go out and by leaps and bounds just change everything. It, it's, it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy. You're going to shake somebody up. Uh, so we got to make these slow incremental progresses. I was with a guy one time. We just left Barnes & Noble. This is before we had a Starbucks in the town that I live in here in Springfield. Barnes & Noble. I used to go every day. And this guy's name is Dwayne. Dwayne was with me. And he got a hazelnut latte. He got a venti. Now, if you don't know, if you don't speak Starbucks, that's that's a 20 ounce. So that's that's a pretty big one. And we were not three miles down the road, and it was gone. And I said, what on earth did you do? He said, man, it was so good. I just had to drink. And he did. He goes, it was gone. I'm like, first of all, if you're ever with me again, don't ever Ever do that. That's not a good use of your money, first of all. So make this thing last. You're going to pay $4 for a drink. Trust me, it's going to last. A dollar an hour is not bad for a drink. So if I'm going to make it last four hours, that's only a dollar an hour. That's not too bad. Sip, don't guzzle. Same thing applies to your leadership. So don't try these leaps and bounds. Don't try these big, big changes, but slowly, incrementally, Bring about these changes that need to take place. So the reason it's hard to answer the question, how have you grown your leadership in the last year is because you don't always notice those small incremental changes. And therein lies, you know, some of the problem. So now Sheila Murray says that leadership is not something you learn once and for all. It's not a class you take and you go, I got this. But it is an ever-evolving ever evolve. It's always changing. It's always evolving. It's always growing. It's a pattern of skills and talents and ideas that grow and change and this is a part I love that grow and change as you do. As you do. You grow and you change. I love this question. I love asking this question when I'm in person and I love asking this question and hearing people's answers and I can all but guarantee you 95% of the time, I know the first word is going to come out of somebody's mouth. Why is it so difficult to lead people? And 95% of the time, the first word out of somebody's mouth is they. They have different personalities, they have different ways of seeing things, they have different communication styles. And that's the mode we stay on. They, they, they. And while all that is true, it is scary because if that's why, you can't do anything about it. Why is it so difficult to lead people? It's not difficult to lead people because they have different personalities. It is difficult to lead people more accurately because you don't understand them. How are you growing? How are you shifting in your understanding of people? You see it? Why is it difficult to lead people? Because I just don't have the time to lead people like I need to. Again, more accurate answer is because I'm not taking the time or making the time to lead people the way that I need to. I promise you this. Everybody listen to this. You have time to do those things that you deem important. You just simply do. Everybody has time to do those things that they deem important. So if it's important enough to you to lead people at a different or a higher or a better level, then you will make the time to make that happen. Sometimes we just simply don't see the importance in that. So what is it then that needs to move or what is it that needs to morph? What needs to change or grow and improve? And again, we can get locked into our way of seeing things and we can get locked into the way that we lead and not grow, and not improve. There are three things that we're going to eventually wind up talking about in the leadership shift. Things that I believe that need to change. Here are those three things. Number one, humanization. It's the humanization of people. Seeing people as people always needs to grow, always needs to shift, because people are going to continue to grow. People are going to continue to be different. You're going to continue to be around people, hire people, If you change jobs, you're going to bring a whole different set of people that are just weird and they think differently than you and they communicate differently than you and it is an ever, ever evolving journey of just understanding people and seeing people as people. The humanization of people. The second thing that needs to change is the meaning of your leadership. It needs to shift. What is the meaning of your leadership? In other words, why do you choose to lead people? Why do you choose lead people? And the third thing that needs to continually shift is our flexibility. One size does not fit all. And the flexibility that we we, uh, practice in our leadership has to continually shift. And if it doesn't, then we're going to slip into the mode of one size fits all and it just simply is not going to work. And we're going to wind up frustrating them and we're gonna wind up frustrating us. So the first one I wanna talk about is the humanization of people. Seeing people as people. This is a huge ongoing shift in our leadership and in our life. I've said this for a long time. I think one of the things that we've done well over the last 75 to 100 years, and I don't think we've done it on purpose, but I think inadvertently and unintentionally, we have dehumanized the workplace. And again, I don't think we've done it on purpose, but I think just because of the way work is, we have dehumanized the workplace. Here's what I mean by dehumanize. When we fail to recognize the humanity of people as people, we've dehumanized them. Now, I'm going to pick a little bit here, and 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 some of you listen to this, you've heard me say this. And I know it's just the way it is. I get it. I know it's probably always going to be this way. And it's probably never going to change. I get it. But it still bugs me. Some of the phraseology that we use in our organizations. Again, by habit. And because it's been that way for a long time. But some of the phraseology we use just bothers me. And I think that it has a tendency to dehumanize. For example... When we call people employees instead of people, when we talk about leadership and followers and we use words like superior and subordinate, I'm telling you that makes me want to scratch something, subordinate. when we use words as simple as manager or supervisor, that seems to imply that somebody you're hiring or somebody you're working with actually needs to be managed and they need to be supervised. Another word for supervisor would be babysitter. And I just think this terminology sometimes that we use has a tendency then to dehumanize. And we have a tendency then to slip into objectifying people and seeing people as objects rather than seeing them as people. And we fail to recognize the humanity of, of people. And I think, again, at a very unconscious, deeper level, we have that tendency to slide in and forget about the fact that these people really do have feelings. They really do have dreams. They have goals. They have something more intrinsic than what we can identify. They have something going on in their lives, just like we have going on in our lives. But I think we sometimes, again, at an unconscious level, we forget about that. It's the subtlety The subtlety of dehumanizing people that sometimes is scary. So, how actually do we humanize people? Well, one of the ways I think we humanize people is the way we answer this question. Why do you believe people come to work? Why do you believe people are there? Why do people get up every single morning and come to work? And, and I'm so glad we're doing this on on, uh, on Zoom. And I'm so glad we're doing so because you can't answer that question. So regardless of what you said, you're not going to be embarrassed by the next thing that I say here. So, here's, so if you just went and you just thought they come for money, that's exactly what most people say. Why do people come to work? Oh, they come for a paycheck. Here's what I said for years. If you lead people based on the assumption that they are just there for a paycheck, it will negatively impact your leadership with them. Why? Because what we've done at a very unconscious level is we've dehumanized them. If they are just there for a paycheck and that's it, then now they can become an object or they can just become a machine or they can become a robot. That's it. They're no longer human to us. But when I lead people based on the assumption that they're there for much more than that, not just for that, but more than that, then it changes the way I approach them. It changes the way I lead them. So if I show up assuming that they're there for a deeper purpose, for a passion, because they want to be a part of something that's bigger than them, and it goes on and on and on. When I show up and I lead from that assumption, it changes the way I lead them because now I start leading them more as humans than I do is objects. And and again, I just think I think it's the difference between the intrinsic and the extrinsic. You know, which do we have a tendency to cater to? I think we have a strong tendency in this country to cater to the extrinsic. So much so that we that we believe that money is the sole motivator of most people. And I'm just telling you, studies have proved for 120 years that it simply is not. And 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 but but the more we lead that way, the more we perpetuate that thought. Here's what I believe. I believe that if somebody's coming to work strictly for the paycheck, just to make ends meet, just to pay the bills, they probably are in survival mode. And when I'm in survival mode, who is it ultimately about? It's about me. So if I'm going to work every day just in survival, it's just about me. I don't care about your culture, your team, your values. I don't care about your win. I don't care about your purpose. None of that matters to me. Because I'm here for me and I'm here to get mine, get crap done, and go home. Now, while it may be true that people believe they just come for the money, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your approach to people and how you handle and how you handle leading them. So I think one of the main reasons, one of the main ways that we dehumanize people is the way we answer that question. Why do we really believe people come to work? Is it true they come to money? It might be. I'm not talking about what reality is. I'm talking about what your assumption is and what your approach is and why that's going to matter. Let me, let me give you an example of this. If, if I show up for a session and I walk into that session and I assume that their leader told them they had to be in that session, they have to be there. Then it changes. It has a tendency to change the way I approach that session. You see it? But if I show up with the assumption that people are in sessions because they want to grow, they want to learn, and they want to become a better version of themselves, then that shifts the way that I approach that session. Again, doesn't matter what reality is. It's the way I approach it. And trust me, there have been plenty of times when I've been in sessions where I know very good and well that those people are there just simply because the leader told them they were going to be there. And there was a day when I would approach it like that, and it did not go well. And I had to shift my thinking. I had to shift my approach. Why are they here? I'm telling you, everybody's here because they want to be a better person. Everybody's here because they want to be a better version of themselves. And that's the way I approach it. The second way I think that sometimes we unknowingly dehumanize people is by our responses. Now, I'm doing a study right now on responses, and and uh, it's very, very interesting. And what, you know, I, I ask people this a lot. What What is it that gets you in trouble just about more anything else? And people say, it's my responses. Yeah, it's... it's The way we respond to people, the way we respond uh, when we're asked a question, or the way we respond when there is a mistake that's made, the way we respond when somebody has fouled something up, whether it's a big or small way, makes no difference. The way we respond to crisis, for example, uh, the way we respond to somebody who may need time off or this, that, whatever. It's the way we respond that we can, if we're not careful, has a tendency to kind of dehumanize. There are two different kinds of responses I've been talking a lot about lately. There's a do response and a be response. Our do response is basically this. It's what you want to do in your response. Like, for example, well, I'm going to set them in their place. Okay, you're going to set. So what you want to do then is you want to set them in their place. You see it? What do you want to do in your response versus who do you want to be in your response? And when you start thinking about more about who you want to be in your response, it changes the way you respond. My guess is when you decide who you want to be in your response, your response is going to be a little more people oriented than when you just simply know what you want to do and you're not paying attention to who you want to be. Because I'm telling you, they don't know what it is you want to do, but I guarantee you they know who you are when you're responding. And it makes a world of difference of how I respond. We do the same thing with our kids. We do the same thing with our spouse. How about this one? When what we want to do is be right. It's the need to be right. When we want to be right, what do you want to do? I want to be right. And so, man, we argue it and we argue it and defense walls go up and we argue some more and (laughs) defense walls continue to go up and we get nothing accomplished. And all the while we sit back and go, man, communication needs to get better in our organizations. Could it be me? Could I actually, at a very unconscious and very inadvertent level, be dehumanizing people in my responses? Who is your response about? Is it about you or is it about them? Here's a question you can ask yourself to start humanizing your responses better. What is the most generous response that I can offer in this situation? What is the most generous response that I can offer in this situation? You see it? Sometimes in our responses, and again, I don't think we do this on purpose. This is a very deeper, unconscious level. But sometimes in our responses, they come across as if we're trying to fix that person. And some of you have been in positions in which you felt like you were trying to be fixed. And literally every time I ask this question, how did that make you feel? I get nothing positive when you're in a position in which you're trying you feel like somebody's trying to fix you it makes you feel inadequate it makes you feel angry it makes you feel like you're never enough it 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 frustrates you and the list goes on and on and on so i got to be careful i got to be careful as a dad i got to be careful as a husband i got to be careful as a leader that i am not in my responses coming across like i'm trying to fix that person but rather I want to influence them. Do you see it? we're trying to persuade somebody to see things our way. Sometimes instead of influencing them to see things our way, we are trying to make or fix them to see things our way, and it just simply isn't working. And I think, again, that's just one of the very subtle ways that we can dehumanize people. Obviously, one of the ways that we dehumanize people is we attach labels. And labeling started probably, I'm going to guess, when you were in about third grade, maybe second grade. Uh, It definitely started when you're old enough to recognize human weirdness. And the moment you begin to recognize that people are different than you, that people thought different than you, that people acted different than you, that's when we begin to attach labels. And some of you listening to this have been labeled as a child. You've been labeled as a junior high student. You were labeled as a high school student. And some of you have not been able to shake that label to this day. Labels labels can hurt, man. They can do damage. And when we label people we have now, I think we feel like we've abdicated ourselves from having to deal with that person. And we haven't. All we've done is just add another layer of complexity onto the already complex issue. But when we label, we have a tendency then to objectify. If I For example, say, that guy is a liar. I now see him as a liar. He has now become an object to me. And if I see him as a liar, if I see him as an object, I don't do anything human to try to win him over or build a connection or influence him or accomplish any kind of positive outcome with him. All I want to do is fix him from being a liar. And that doesn't work. So what I do then is I still see him as a person who did lie and I make lying part of the positive outcome that I want to create with him. That way I stay focused on him as a person and I win him over and I build a connection and then I can influence him and create positive outcomes. But when we start labeling, that's when it does damage. Grace is a way that you avoid labeling. Grace has a tendency to separate the person from the action. We do not do that well. Because again, when somebody acts in a certain way, we label them as being that. We associate their behavior automatically with who they are. It's not who they are, it's what they did. And grace comes in and separates a person from the action. Grace comes in and says, nope, he lied, but he's not a liar. Stay focused on them as a person. Do you see it? Stay focused on them as a person. And then you can steward your influence. What do you do? You fix objects, you influence people. And that's how the two intersect. Another way I think that we uh, dehumanize people, and this was going to be tough because we have a lot of results-driven people. Uh, (laughs) We have a lot of results-driven people in the country I have a lot of results-driven people that I work with, and I get this question all the time, got it today, keeps coming up, how in the world do you lead people effectively when you got all these other things to do? How do you lead people effectively when you got all these tasks that you have to complete, you see? And that is a very, very complicated water to tread. It really is. But one of the ways that I think that we inadvertently dehumanize people is when we Approach work or reproach our jobs with a get crap done mindset, and all that matters to us is just that: get crap done. And I think what happens is that we overlook people sometimes, and 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 get to the result. We overlook people for the sake of results, and I just, I just think that sometimes. At a very unconscious level, again, all this happens at a very I don't think anybody's setting out to do this on purpose, so I keep saying that. But I think at a very unconscious level, uh, what happens is that we uh, we believe we should get things done, and we should. But I think what we're doing is we're making people feel less than the result. And, and to me, that's a very, very dangerous uh, thing to do. There's a difference between being results-driven and results-oriented. We should be results-oriented but I'm not so sure we should be driven by the results. And I've said this a lot. And, and if we were in person, I would be using my fingers or my hands to show you what the proportion is. Obviously, you can't see this, and so I have to uh, I, I have to use uh, hopefully a numbering system that makes sense to you. But but pre-leadership, in other words, pre-your position of leadership, your task list was 80% of your time versus people 20% of your time. But when you step into a formal position of leadership, that has to shift. And if that doesn't shift, then we're going to do damage. It has to shift to, and I don't care, I'm making this percentage up. You got to decide what your own percentage is, but using what I just used, I'll invert it. It becomes 80% people and 20% task. And some of you listening to this, you are the main leader. And so that is one of the main shifts you need to make in your leadership is it becomes more people, less task, you see? And you develop people then to do the task that needs to be done. You get about the business of leading people. And I think this is one of the ways, again, in a very accidental level, we can have a tendency to maybe um, dehumanize people. Humanization as a leader is 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 a tough is a tough thing to talk about. It's a tough thing because I think I think every leader probably thinks that they love people and they care for people. And um okay, I won't say every leader. I say most leaders think they love people and they care for people. And and you know what? They probably do. At a very deep level, they probably do. I think we let this other stuff kind of Kind of get in, in the way a little bit. So how do I move beyond that? How do I actually humanize people then as a leader? So let's just chat about some ways, very simple, uh, very um, general ways that we can do that. I think one of the ways that we actually show people that we're humanizing them is when we, and I'm going to explain this, it's going to be a little quirky, so I'm going to explain this, is when we recognize when their tanks need filled. You recognize when their tanks need filled. So if you're paying attention, if you're paying attention, and as a leader, you should, now, paying attention may become an episode later on in the future because that, that's something else that's burning with me right now. But if you're paying attention as a leader, you are noticing when somebody is not the best version of themselves. You see it? And depending on what your mode of leadership is, depending on what your belief about leadership is, and sometimes depending on how you're wired, You either are or are not going to notice when somebody's tank needs to be filled. They're not the best version of themselves. And sometimes you are the one that needs to go to them and say, listen, I don't know what's going on with you, but you don't seem like you're the best version of yourself right now. You don't seem like you've been yourself lately. You see, you know, you've been a little cranky. You seem a little stressed, whatever it may be, whatever words you want to use there. You probably need to take a half a day and go do something to fill your tank. You know what you've done? is you have put them in front of results. You've put them in front of tasks and you've shown this human way of caring for them as a person, not just as an employee. So recognizing when their tanks need filled. Now that is a very random, obscure way of humanizing people. You're probably sitting there, what in the world did that come from? It comes from the fact that I've seen this not happen so many times that people just get stuck and they wind up just leaving because their tanks aren't full. Recognizing the fact when somebody is not themselves and they need to get out and they need to fill their tank. Another way I think we humanize people is again, we pay close attention to the basic needs of people. Close attention to the basic needs of people. Now we could very easily right now slide into a a, a, a team talk. And 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 so this is just, Maslow said this, Abraham Maslow said this in the 1940s, there are five basic needs that people have, universal needs that people have. And I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that everybody listening to this is actually human. And so uh, there, there may be a couple, maybe they're not, I don't know. But I'm going to go on a labor and say, everybody listening to this, probably human. And everybody listen to this, if that's the case and you're human. You have these needs. You may not be aware of these needs, and another thing is, you may not even be aware when these needs are not being filled, and especially when they're not being filled, you know, in, in other people and the people that I'm leading. So, paying close attention to the basic needs. Here's what Maslow said. He said every human has basic need of, of physiological things like food, water, uh, clothes. You know, health, those kinds of things. Just the very basic thing. The next need everybody has then is safety and security. They have to feel safe. They have to feel secure. And now in modern day language, I think we could even attach emotional and psychological safety to that because somebody cannot be the best version of themselves. They cannot feel like they even matter. They cannot feel like they can own their mistakes or that they can tell the truth and they don't feel safe. So we got to make people feel safe. The third one he said is the social need. This is the need for belonging. It's the need for for being in, in, included in a team. And it's that, that thing that drives us to want to belong to a workplace or to a subculture or to a church or to somewhere else that we can find belonging. And if you have anybody in your team that they don't feel like they belong, I'm just telling you straight up, you're not gonna have fully functioning, effective team. So paying attention to if somebody feels like they belong and paying attention to am I helping them feel like that they belong. That belonging need right there is what will cause you to watch a two-hour movie about a man talking to a volleyball. That social need that Chuck had in that movie, Castaway, to talk to a volleyball he named Wilson and cried like a baby when Wilson floated away in the ocean, stripping away that social need. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. The the fourth need he talked about was the esteem need. This is a need to be recognized for accomplishments, to know that your work matters, to know that you matter, to be encouraged. And the fifth need is the need for what he called self-actualization, which is actually what I just, it's just improvement. It's just moving beyond where you are right now, you see? So paying attention to those basic needs. Are those basic needs getting fulfilled? Now, go back to what I said earlier. When you're paying attention to those, you are paying attention to the intrinsic needs of the person, not just the extrinsic needs of the person. You see this? That first level, that's the extrinsic need. That physiological, you're paying them, you're giving them a paycheck. The extrinsic needs are being filled. Now focus on the intrinsic needs of the person because they're people, they're humans, and we all have these basic needs that have to be fulfilled. Another way we humanize people is you hold on to this. Now, this is just my idea. You may not, you may not adopt this as yours, but that's okay if you don't, but at least hear me out and know how this is going to go. I personally believe encouragement is your number one leadership tool. And I I think that when you become an encourager, you're going to win with people. If you don't become an encourager, you're going to struggle with people. I'm not talking about compliments and, hey, did a great job and nice job on that. And I'm not just talking about those loose things, hey, nice shirt. I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about genuinely putting courage in people, recognizing the fact that they're human and humans need courage. And so I, as a leader now, become an encourager of people. And I recognize that they need it But here's another thing. Remember, one size doesn't fit all. So how I encourage one is probably not how I'm going to encourage the other. Because one size does not fit all. How you want to be encouraged may not be how somebody else wants to be encouraged. You see, we call that the golden rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. I can all but guarantee you, those of you listening to this do not want to be treated the way I want to be treated. I want to treat you the way you want to be treated. That's called the platinum rule. Treat other people the way they need to be treated. So again, you got to humanize people because you got to move to a level of understanding who are they, what are their needs, and how do they want to be treated. I've asked leaders this question for years. Do you know what your people need and expect from you as a leader? And nine and a half times out of ten, I get, no, I don't. Well, if you don't know what they need from you as a leader, then you might not be meeting those needs. So encouragement is your number one leadership tool. Everybody needs it and everybody can do it. I don't care how you do it, but just put courage in your people and that way I believe you're humanizing people. And the last way, and I've I've kind of danced all around it, but basically we've said it in so many words, is you understand them, you strive to understand them. You strive to understand them as people, not as employees. So striving to understand people, really, who are they? What is their story? How are they wired up? What are their experiences? What are their influences? You know, uh, what's their upbringing like? All those things. Start to understand who they are and what makes them tick and what are their inspirations and what are their motivations and all those kinds of things. You strive to understand people because they are people and they are different than you and they're not all the same as each other. And those are just some very simple ways that you begin to humanize people. So that's the first thing that I believe needs to shift in our leadership constantly, constantly is the humanization, the humanization of people and uh, seeing people as people.